Welcome to our Southwinds online Christmas services. We're just a few days from Christmas and just a few more days until we begin a new year. And for many of us, we find ourselves in a place we've never been before. C.S. Lewis's classic book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, has a, a line that sums up what many of us are feeling. And if you've read the book, you know that a little girl named Lucy goes through a magic wardrobe into the land of Narnia, and when she arrives, it's winter. Soon she meets a character named Mr. Tumnus who tells her that Narnia is always in winter because it's under the spell of the evil white witch. It is winter in Narnia, said Mr. Tumnus, and has been for ever so long. Always winter, but never Christmas. I don't think there has ever been a more striking description of what it feels like to be hopeless. Always winter, but never Christmas. And a lot of people are feeling that right now, there's this sense of hopelessness, that feeling that everything is terrible and it, it won't ever get better. A few months ago, I saw a poll that said 48% of Americans are feeling hopeless because of COVID, because of the economy, because of political turmoil. And, and that's not a good thing because hopelessness leads to all kinds of bad consequences. It excuses inaction, among other things. Like, if, if I don't ever think there's any hope that I'll ever get out of debt, I, I won't even try to manage my budget. It also excuses bad behavior. If I don't think there's any hope I'll ever overcome my bad habit or ever stop this sin, then I just keep on doing it. And it also can create a negative thought loop. If I feel hopeless, I'll just constantly be looking for evidence that everything is hopeless. I just keep feeding my own negativity. On the other hand, hopefulness has all kinds of positive outcomes. There was some research from about two years ago that, that showed that the more hopeful people feel about their personal future, among other things, the more productive they are, the less affected by stress they are, they're more compassionate, and they're even physically healthier. And that is why it is so important for us to understand what it means to receive the gift of hope. We're going to study a passage in the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah that God inspired over 2,700 years ago. It's a prophecy about the coming Messiah, who we know today is Jesus of Nazareth, God's son. And God had Isaiah write these words to give his people hope. Let's read God's word together. Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 9. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
If you are feeling hopeless right now, these verses contain one truth that, that could change everything for you, that, that could give you hope. But before I tell you what that truth is, I want to fill you in on some background. Isaiah 11 was written in hopeless times for the Jewish people around 700 years before Christ. They're under Assyrian attack in the north, and they will soon be under Babylonian attack in the south. For centuries, they've left God. They've chased after idols. They've had corrupt ruler after corrupt ruler, and they are now living in the consequences of their sin, and they're feeling hopeless. And Isaiah is writing to say, it's about to get worse. It's winter, but don't give up. Don't give up. So what did he tell them to give them hope? What kept them going through their dark winters? Historians will tell you that it was an idea, an idea that's all through the book of Isaiah, an idea that grows and grows through the whole Bible, an idea that prepared the way for the arrival of Jesus, and it's an idea that still is powerful today. Christ followers living under persecution have taken so much hope from this idea, and you can too. If you're wondering right now, how do I move from hopeless to hopeful? I mean, right now, even now in this COVID winter, this is how they did it. You see here in Isaiah 11, three aspects of one powerful perspective altering idea. And I'm going to describe the three aspects of this truth and then just see if you can figure out what it is. First, they believed that God still has a plan It looks grim now, but they believe God still has a plan for us, and his plan involves a man. Look at verse 1 again. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So what does this mean? Well, it's poetic metaphor that takes the reader back to some historical realities. About 300 years before Isaiah wrote this, the kingdom of Israel had its Camelot phase It was the reign of David, their best king ever. And and David was one of Jesse's sons. But by the time Isaiah wrote, Jesse's lineage had been chopped down. Isaiah says it was like a, a dead stump. But Isaiah prophesies here that one day a new king will arise from Jesse's lineage. And we know that about 700 years later, a baby was born and it was Jesus. And Jesus was from the house of Jesse. That that was his family tree, a shoot came up. See, this was the expectation of Messiah, someone anointed by God in David's lineage, a future king who would bring a better future for everyone. And this this idea captured the Jewish people's imagination through centuries of hardship. Why? Well, because it meant that God will not forget us. We are not at the mercy of the Assyrian armies or the great Babylonian armies. They will not have the last word. God will have the last word. And so we have hope. And you need to to hear today that even in your sorrows, even in your tragedies, even in your illnesses, even in COVID, even in unemployment, even in business challenges and difficulties, you need to hear God has not forgotten you. And no matter what it looks like, You are hearing here that these things will not have the last word, that God will have the last word in your life too. And it's a good word. So that's where this idea starts. God still has a plan and God's going to send a man and he won't forget us and God's got the last word. And and then this promise of the Messiah develops further. 
God still has a plan. And second, I can trust God's Messiah. God's going to send his Messiah. Listen to how Isaiah describes him in verses two and three. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And what this is saying is after all these centuries of terrible sinful rulers, there's going to be one who is totally wise and totally understanding, someone who will have the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Verse three says, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. This means that this ruler will not uh, judge by external factors, the things that most kings would judge by by wealth and position and reputation and, and accomplishments. No, this, this, this kind of ruler is the kind of ruler that the, the whole world has always been starving for and that the Jewish people at this point in history that they were particularly starving for because of, of all the ways their own rulers had let them down. In this moment, they were surrounded by these vicious rulers who were against them. But God is promising that one day, one day you will have a ruler who will have the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, and of counsel. That's going to happen. And so we're just seeing this develop, this idea that was giving them hope that in their bleakest times, God has a plan to send a Messiah, that, that I can trust God's Messiah because he's going to be righteous and good. And then there's the third part of this idea as it develops. And it's the most mind-blowing part. And it's the best part. Number three, God's Messiah will make all things right. And at this point, Isaiah just kind of goes off on this poetic riff as he, he develops this idea of how powerful and how transformative this Messiah will be. He says, first of all, this Messiah will end injustice. I mean, can you imagine to end all injustice? Isaiah paints a picture for us in verse 4. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. So the Messiah is going to bring justice for oppressed people, for poor people. And, and you might be wondering, well, what about the people who are oppressing the poor people? Well, he's going to strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. And that's just how easy it's going to be for Messiah to get justice for the poor He'll just breathe and he'll slay the wicked. And finally, the poor and oppressed are gonna get justice against their oppressors. Verse five says, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And this was just a poetic way of saying that that's what's going to characterize the Messiah. He will be a ruler who's like personified by, who's, who's like clothed in righteousness and faithfulness. He's going to be incorruptible. Now at this point, you might have the idea without further knowledge that the Messiah is just going to be some kind of really enlightened civil servant, kind of like the perfect president, which would be really great. But then as Tim Keller says, this passage sort of bursts its banks and the poetic waters just come up and they sort of like flood everything. And that's the second thing we see. Second, the, the Messiah will also, Isaiah says, end conflict. That's right. 
He's going to end all conflict. Look at the way he puts it. And these are some very famous verses. Listen to verse 6. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will, will lead them. Verse 7, can you picture this? The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the, the lion will eat straw like the ox. If you're wondering what that would look like. Let me help you out with that. Maybe you've seen pictures or, or videos that, that get shared on the internet of these, these kind of strange friendships of animals. And if you go online, you can find stories like, like these. There's a, a village in India where this leopard shows up every night to, to be cleaned by this particular cow that's like his adopted mom. And, and then you look at this picture, it's like it's right out of that Bible verse, right? Or there's this stray cat who drops into the pen of an Asiatic black bear. That's a carnivorous animal. And this bear is licking this cat clean. They're just kind of hanging out together all day long. And then there's this one. There's Sharky the pit bull and his, his friend Max the cat. And then these little chicks. So you have the, a pit bull and a cat and then baby birds all living in harmony and I think we're kind of captivated by these strange friendships because they're reminders of something deep, something that God himself is saying in these verses. But it's not just about animals. See, this is poetry that's expressing even more deeply that longtime human enemies will also live at peace. And we know this is what it's telling us because there's a parallel passage later in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 19.23. And Isaiah 19.23 says, In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. You know, today it might be like Israel and Iran or America and China. And the point is, when you have a picture of the future like that, which, which God guarantees, that brings you hope, a lasting hope. Hope even when, when life seems the darkest. I'll show you one example of what I mean. At the 1964 Nobel Peace Prize ceremony, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his acceptance speech. And in that speech, he explained why he was able to still have hope. I mean, and that was a pretty good question then because he had at that point seen relatively little progress in his quest for civil rights. He had endured bomb threats and all kinds of vile insults and betrayals. And, you know, how could he in all of that still have a sense of hope? Well, he explains why in his speech. And I bring this up because in his speech, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 11. He says, and I quote, I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starlight midnight of racism and war that the bright daylight of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe unconditional love will have the final word in reality. I believe that one day mankind will bow before the altar of God triumphant over war and bloodshed and the lion and the lamb shall lie down together. See, this faith, he said, this faith can give us courage to face the, the future's uncertainties. Do you see what he's saying? Do you see? He, he's telling us that when we truly trust God, when we trust that his promise in Isaiah 11 actually describes the future, then that gives us hope. 
And it doesn't just mean that you sit around and, and kind of wait for it to happen. Dr. King obviously was very active. It means that we are to be the kind of person Messiah is, that righteousness and faithfulness are to define us, that, that God's grace is changing us as, as from the inside out. And when we have confidence that God will complete what he starts, that our labor is not in vain, that brings us hope, and that's how we persevere. And then Isaiah says this. He says, this Messiah will even end pain. And it's like he just keeps taking it to another level. He's telling us that all nature's gonna be changed. Look at verse eight. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. And, and this is just a mind-blowing, perfect image of a perfect and pain-free world that one day, one day, no one will ever get snake bit. Not by a viper, not by a virus. It's like Max Lucado puts it. No more aspirin, no more chemo, no more wheelchairs, no more divorce or jail or broken hearts. And it's just an incredibly beautiful picture. And then Isaiah tells us finally, and, and this one might shock you, Messiah will end religion. And you may be wondering, why did the, why did the pastor just say Messiah's going to come one day and end religion? Well, I, I told you that because that's what the Bible says. And that's going to happen because there will be no more need of it. Look at, at verse 9, where it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah paints the same picture in, in Jeremiah 31 when he says, No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. They will all know God. And therefore, there will be no more need for pastors or priests or churches. Like, I'll be out of a job. But do you understand that this is God's end game? God didn't send his son Jesus to earth that first Christmas just so people will be nicer to each other. Some people think Christianity is about our moral behavior, but it is so, so much more than that. God sent Jesus to live and to reveal to us the heart of the Father. He sent Jesus so that we could know the Father. And the ultimate way that he did that was the cross. Jesus died to totally transform us, to set us free from sin, to give us eternal life so that we could live with and we could know God the Father. And as Isaiah predicts in the very next verse of Isaiah 11, verse 10, in that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world, the whole world. And I can just tell you, when, when your heart is, is captured by this idea that God loves you so much, that God cares for you so much, that, that he didn't just leave you in darkness, but he sent his one, his only son, not to condemn you, but to save you through his sacrifice. And then that same Messiah showed you what you had to look forward to after death, through his resurrection. And when you put all this together, it, it all adds up to one thing, and that's hope. Because illness and corruption and death and injustice, they do not have the final word. God will make all things right, and that includes your resurrection, your resurrection from the dead. And that just brings so much hope. 
And I hope you are understanding this is, this is not just some intellectual truth to comprehend. It's something that you, you need to drive deep into the very core of your being. Let it impact all of you. You know, I know like uh, Dan and I do, many of you probably watch some of these shows where, you know, they do some sort of makeover. And they, they have shows like this for people. And they have shows like this for houses. There's all, all kinds of shows where people buy rundown houses and they, they do these incredible transformation. Like there's a fixer-upper or a house-flipping show for like just about almost every major city. Have you ever asked yourself why people like shows like that so much? I think it's this idea of transformation, of making something new, taking something broken and restoring it. And I, and I think we all recognize that our world is broken and we love, we love seeing restoration and renewal, even if it's just in one house or one person. What Isaiah is telling us in Isaiah 11 is that God's got like an extreme makeover for the entire universe. He's got that in store. One day, God's gonna say, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth. You will dwell with me and I will dwell with you. I will wipe every tear from your eyes and there will be no more death or no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. There will be no more viruses for the old order of things has passed away. And when you believe that and when you rest your life on that promise, you can have hope. See, there's hope. And the hope we're talking about right here is hope actually in the second advent. And you see, we know as we celebrate Christmas that just as surely as that first advent happened, we, we can look back at it in history and we can see it. Well, we can know with the same certainty that the second advent will one day happen too. Let me give you a little secret, a little insight. It may help you enjoy Christmas at a, a new level this year. Most people completely miss this. But if you listen carefully to the lyrics of many Christmas carols, you will understand that a lot of them are not just about the first advent, not just about Christmas. They're also about the second advent when Jesus returns, when God completely renews his entire creation. Let me show you just a couple of examples. The first one is from the song Joy to the World. Look at these, these lyrics. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Because he comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. That's the second advent. I'll give you another example. This is the carol, I Heard the Bells, and it was written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. I don't know if you know the story behind this song, but Longfellow wrote this when he was deeply grieving. His own wife had recently and tragically died in this horrible house fire, and, and then his son had gone and joined the Union Army and fought in the Civil War against his father's wishes, and he came back from the war horribly maimed. And so one Christmas, Longfellow was just in this deep despair and grief. And he wrote a poem that became the lyrics to this song. And you, you know how it goes. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. 
And then he writes, and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth. Goodwill to men. See, that was a a word for Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and maybe it's a word for you today. God is not dead, nor does he sleep in your life. He is at work. He is active. And, and now in your life, even if you don't see it all the time, even if you don't feel it all the time, his blessings are already flowing. But they will have their ultimate culmination when Jesus comes again at the second advent. Then we will see completely that the right shall prevail. Do you see? Do you see the point of, of all of these messianic promises in Isaiah 11? You might summarize it this way. It gets better. In fact, it gets perfect because of the Messiah. And a deep, deep trust that that this is true. That is what marked the people who listened to Isaiah's prophecy. And it's what marked the early Christians who, who, and helped them as they, they had to face persecution. It helped them survive all kinds of persecution. I wonder sometimes why it doesn't mark us more consistently. And I think there are several reasons, but I wonder if maybe the biggest reason we struggle with hope is simply this, we have it way too easy. And yes, I said that, even in 2020, we have it so easy. We live with so much abundance and comfort. We can pretty much get everything we want as soon as we want, you know, any time we want. You might call it the Amazon or the Netflix factor because pretty much everything is on demand or one-click free shipping, next-day delivery. And a lot of times we start believing, we start thinking many times that we had to have this right. We have a right to instant gratification that we shouldn't have to wait, that we can, we can just get what we want whenever we want. And, and out of that, we for, forget how to wait And I've wondered sometimes as we have all lived through this strange, strange year of delay where progress is seeming so slow, 2020 as it's unwinding and it'll never seem to end. I mean, most of us, we just don't know how to wait. I want you to think of this. The original hearers of these promises in Isaiah, they had to wait a long, long time, centuries, even to see the first advent but it was the anticipation that gave them hope because they believed. And that's what we have to learn. Because you know, a crucial element of hope is learning to anticipate. Learning to say, I know that God is up to something. I choose to believe that each day, each day I am one day closer to seeing his promises fulfilled. Can you say this? Can you say it each evening? Each day, I'm one day closer. Each day, we're one day closer to getting through this COVID situation. And each day, we're also one day closer to the second coming of Jesus when all disease will be wiped out. You see, the key, the key to having this attitude is is to place your hope in the right thing. Because if you place your hope 
in whatever you see in the news every day, then your hope will go up and down just like a roller coaster. So what's the solution? Well, if hope is rooted in God's promises, it remains constant, always available, because you can just rest, you can just settle in, you can, you can wait, and you can, you can endure for the long haul, and you stay confident in the waiting because you are believing, you are trusting. I know that God is at work. I know that he's up to something. I know this because his word tells me, and I believe it. So do you want to get through this with hope? I want to issue an invitation to you right now. And whether you've been following Christ for years and years, maybe decades on decades, or maybe you're someone who's just kind of checking things out, I want to invite you. In fact, I want to challenge you. Like those who heard these Advent promises centuries ago, choose to trust that God still has a plan, that I can totally trust Jesus, his Messiah, and that God will one day make all things right. Will you say yes today to Jesus, to this Messiah? Will you say, yes, Lord Jesus, I choose to trust you? Let me tell you that when you do that, it is then that you start to hear the whisper of his promise that God is saying to you every day, yes, I know, yes, I know, it is winter, Right now, no doubt, it is winter. But Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me as we go before our loving Father? Lord, we thank you so very much for the hope that you want to give us. We thank you for the promises that we have read today in your word. Would you help us, Father, to receive your hope and to, to actually live in your hope today? Lord, for all those who are watching, wherever they are, maybe with the, the needle on their hope meter just pointing towards empty, they don't think they have it left in them, particularly those, Lord, who are grieving great losses due to this terrible pandemic. Lord, I pray that, I pray that you would fill them up today with the good news of Jesus, with the promise that in you, it gets better. I pray that you would strengthen them with the, with the hope that comes from knowing that you have proven the reality of your promise in an ultimate way when your son Jesus died on the cross and then you raised him from the dead. You conquered death. And so Lord, we say, we place our trust in you. And we believe, God, that you are at work in us and around us and through us and on into our, our very future. Father, we thank you for Christmas hope. And we pray all of these things now in Jesus' name. And everyone, wherever you are, join me, would you, in saying amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Can't wait to see you Christmas Eve whether you join us online or you join us on our campus outdoors, we're going to have a great time celebrating the goodness of God in the sending of his son. Have a great day. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.